that way. <laughs> Cyrano, do you mind? Hey, fabulous listeners. Just a quick reminder to rate and comment on our podcast on whatever platform you listen. The comments and ratings help boost us in those, you know, algorithms. And that way we can reach new listeners um, because we want to, you know, spread our empire and conquer the world. So whenever you have a chance, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Sean, cue the music. Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. again. And welcome everyone. Those were the wailing sounds of guitar music in the background that tells you it is the 34 Circe <laughs> Salon Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. And as always, I am here with Don Sam Alden. So, Dawn, can you tell our friends out there what we've got set for today? Oh, I'm super excited. Um, you may not have seen this movie when it came out a few years ago, and if so, you should go back and watch it, because we're going to talk about Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which is a movie, not surprisingly, about the creation of the Wonder Woman comics. And uh, we have with us an amazing guest, Teresa Giacino, who writes for the Mary Sue, among other fabulous things. And uh, she is going to speak with us about this movie and about Wonder Woman, the, the comic book character, and, uh, and all things Wonder Woman that, you know, we can fit into our podcast. So... On that note, on that sort of trailing off random babbling note. I thought it was a lovely trailing off <laughs> random babbling note. Hi, Teresa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I, that was that was the best intro of all time. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, I am very, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Would mm-hmm. you be so kind as to tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Uh, again, Teresa Giacino. Um big fan of uh, of Dawn um Aww. and and I'm I'm very happy to meet you Sean as well um nice to yeah meet you. I I am a writer uh, I live in LA and uh I just tiny correction I did write for the Mary Sue I no longer um oh, okay but I I was an assistant editor there for three years um huge you know you can type in my author tag there's hundreds of articles by me on there uh and a lot of them um about this movie that we're going to talk about, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Um, I noticed that. Yeah, uh, Annapurna reached out to us because obviously we are a, um, you know, and I'm still a part of the Mary Sue family, even though I no longer write for them. So I, I tend to say we. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the Mary Sue is a feminist pop culture geek focused website. Um, although they've since expanded, like in the time I was there, even uh, they cover pop culture, of course, and all the geeky, nerdy, fun things. But they've, you know, also started writing about politics and kind of broadening their their criticism of media in general to include news media and other other uh, forms of art. Um, but yeah, they they you know came to us because you know obviously we had a, a a sweet spot as far as the audience they wanted to go for, which was, you know, primarily female, primarily geeky uh, and feminist. And, uh, and I think they did the right thing because they, you know, when our editor in chief came to us and said, Hey, um, who wants to cover professor Marston in the Wonder Woman? I was like, me, I do give me all the things. (laughs) So I got to, uh, to interview some cast and uh, go to the, um, premiere screening of it at the Toronto Film Festival and all that good stuff. Oh, so it was a lot fabulous. of fun. Wow, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. I think I think we share the same audience. So I think that's that's perfect. The what the Mary Sue. So the feminist geeky crossover is gonna work really well. It is strong with us, indeed. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> I got that vibe. <laughs> so let's we're gonna talk obviously today about this film, uh, as I had mentioned, we we have a little tradition here, which is called 
what's the big idea? So I would love to just ask you what the big idea you'd like the audience to take, you know, in terms of going ahead and listening, what's the big idea you want to get across about Wonder Woman? And I have to give you our angelic choir. The big idea. We've left her speechless. <laughs> now, the the big idea about Wonder Woman or the big idea about this film? About this film. About this film. Got it. Because I did have a big idea about that. Well, um, both. Whichever, whatever big ideas you want to share, we're open to all big ideas today. Yeah. Well, I. Well, then get ready. <laughs> Buckle up. Um, <laughs> so, but my my big idea or my the the thing I hope people take away from. This movie, when they see it, is that, you know, it's a period piece about a non-traditional relationship between three people. Um, And the fact that it's a period piece and obviously Wonder Woman in and of itself uh, was controversial at the time that it was created. Uh, Marston's relationship with these women uh, was controversial uh, at the time, but it's still controversial today. Mm-hmm. Um, and something what's interesting is that I've noticed uh, polyamory as a topic coming up a lot lately like I just seem to be having a lot of these conversations with people um, I myself am in an open uh, marriage and I it comes up a lot and it's still you know all these decades later right. uh, as progressive as as we think we have become and we have in many ways mm-hmm. um, but the ideas that are explored in this film, in this period piece, are still relevant and still important to explore. Um, we can't so easily look back on this as as quaint and like, oh, isn't it how, you know, isn't it terrible how back then people had to deal with this kind of nonsense because we're still dealing with this kind of nonsense. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, we're, still in the, we're still in that construct, cultural construct. Let's, first for the listener, let's kind of uh, draw out who's involved in this. So who are these people we're talking about in this film? Who are they and what did they do? Are you asking me or Teresa? Oh, Teresa. Okay. I could tell you myself, but it's just, I was just thought like we would kind of just set it up for the listener. Because I, so, you know, Teresa, I am a, I have a, actually I'm really fascinated by Marston. Um, yeah. And I've read Jill Lepore's book on the secret history of Wonder Woman. Um, I've read some of Lepore's, I'm uh, not Lepore's, uh, Marston's writings. And so I think he's a, just an interesting character. And of course, Wonder Woman is, we talk about the Amazons a lot on this podcast. So mm-hmm. she's yeah. and a, matriarchy. A matron, and matriarchy. Which, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, Marston, a, a lot of his ideas, um, you know, were about, uh, what did he call it? Gentle dominance. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole... I was uh, hiding the siren, sorry. Uh, loving female <laughs> dominance, I think. So. Loving, loving female dominance, there you go. So, um, you know, and and the the Amazons in, in Wonder Woman are a matriarchy that, you know, that the comic book that he created are a matriarchy. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's he's got a... If we, if he was alive today, we would love to have him as a guest on this podcast because oh. I think, yeah, oh. we would oh, have a lot yeah. of ideas in common. Now, you know, he did have also some problematic viewpoints, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, well, let's, let's well, let's we'll talk about. It. So, so again, for the listeners, so Walter Marston is one of the characters in the film. William, uh, William, sorry, I William, William, no. yeah. William, William Wooten Marston. I would say what? Walter. I was going to say, I'm like, wait, no, I, that's not right. No, did, yeah. he a, William, did he have a brother? William. <laughs> he had a brother, and the brother was yeah. I always call him Walter. So William Milton Marston was the creator of Wonder Woman. He was also a Harvard trained psychologist, and he, along with Elizabeth, created the invented the lie detector. And so yeah. Elizabeth was someone. She was also a Harvard trained psychiatrist or psychologist in the the mm-hmm. budding fields that did not really have you know, uh, practices yet, but, um, she, because she was a woman and, um, Harvard would not grant her a degree from Harvard. Uh, she actually was granted a degree from Radcliffe, which was the women's college, um, associated with Harvard at the time. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's interesting because 
uh, then we have Olive Byrne, who mm-hmm. is the third member of this uh, of the the main trio of this film, uh, who was a student of uh, Marston's um, when he was a professor and uh, someone who comes into their orbit and kind of fascinates both of them, mm. which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, talking about the uh, about Marston's kind of complicated feminism um because on the one hand yes he he was all about uh gentle female dominance as as you said um but then there there is that problem or that element of putting women on a pedestal mm-hmm. um and that's kind of its own backhanded right compliment in that you know it's it's so that it kind of feeds into the women are pure women are naturally nurturing women are that's you know x y and z and we can learn so much from women they you know everything about women is about peace and about love and about whatever and Uh it doesn't really see women as people it sees them as an ideal right um yeah okay can we talk talk a little about because for me obviously in the context of this you know very podcast platform so that is the existence that that marston has in that circumstance I mean, it's interesting in, in reading your articles, you talked about how you relate it to these characters in your own personal life in terms of their their relationship to each other. And so I have the same kind of thing, but more from Marston's standpoint, like looking at how does that fit? So the complications of Marston, I'm curious to hear more about in the sense of, so the pedestal, because I get the idea of which bothers me as well, the idea that, okay, women are all peaceful, that there's not a real humanity to it, that, you know, there are good, bad, dark and light sides to everyone, irrespective of gender and background. But Marston falls into that trap a little bit. I see that too. Do you see there any other areas where he falls into something you would consider problematic? Or is it mostly about the kind of state of nature thing? Well, it's it's about that, and it, you know, it's it's funny as a uh, uh, creative woman who writes, um, just the very fact that so much of um, Marston's career uh, was helped along and fed into by Elizabeth, um, and yet he's, you know, generally the one credited. Um, he's the one that is that you know up until. Recently, and I think Lepore's book had a lot to do with that, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it's not like he was, you know, going out of his way to to hide her involvement. Yeah. 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 Like he he wasn't hiding her involvement, but he also wasn't touting it Mm. particularly. Um, He never shared billing with her, you know, and it's uh, so, yeah, it's 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 I think that it's important to, you know, whenever we talk about anybody being a feminist is that like, like what does feminism mean for the time in mm-hmm. which they exist? Right. You know, like right. he was right. absolutely very progressive for his day for sure. That's, there's no question about that. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, where was he hemmed in by, by um, his, you know, gender norms and, and, and all yeah, of that. And his own blind spots, you know, because right. we are, we are all humans and, you know, we all have blind spots in our progressiveness um, in some ways or other that have to do with, you know, our upbringing as well as our, our time period and uh, totally. what's floating out there in the ether. Yeah. And this actually, Sean might be able to, to speak to, cause I haven't read the Lepore book, mm-hmm. um, but I understand that cause when I talk to, um, uh, Angela Robinson, who directed this film, and you know, she was talking about you know her approach to writing it and all of that. Uh, and I know a lot got cut. For example, the fact that Marston had a relationship that you know there were five people involved, mm-hmm. um, and so it kind of the movie distills it down to these two relationships that he had, uh, mostly because these two women uh, ended up having a relationship after he died, right? Um, and they stayed together, uh, which is its own thing um and yeah i I think the definitely those three are the central relate i mean there's they're central in in lapore's book and they're certainly they seem to have been i mean it seems they're clear they were central in each other's lives so picking those three there's no question about it and of course elizabeth has this incredible influence and olive 
her connection to Margaret Sanger. Uh, for the listener, Olive Byrne was Margaret Sanger's niece. Um, and so Margaret Sanger, uh, the founder, was it with Planned Parenthood? Was it Planned Parenthood? Yeah. Was it called Was it called it that then? I was just wondering. But what we have is Planned Parenthood now. So yeah, um, I believe so, it was actually. Okay. Um, okay. But so, she was also uh, like a suffragette, and all you know, yeah. she was an activist, kind of more generally before even founding that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the thing with that book, so there is there's that whole polyamorous world because there's a couple of strands, obviously, we we want to explore. Um, because there's the issue of you know you're talking about the also the relationship in the movie, but there's also the 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 theories and the the context of what's going on in terms of how people looked at feminism and matriarchy in, in ways that sometimes I think are even ahead of where we are now. But yeah, those three were clearly that's that that's the unit in some sense. And um, so Olive and Elizabeth were part of that suffragette female empowerment, very distinct kind of sensibility to it in that era. And Lepore writes a lot about really fascinating stuff from that era. So yeah, Marston in the middle of that. I've always thought, okay, that's a very interesting path. I would have, I was curious as to how that happened. And I don't know that I have found answers that what made, what shaped him into that. But the, the film is definitely much more about Olive and Elizabeth's relationship. And I think that was extremely interesting choice. Yeah, I think that was the stronger relationship, to be mm -hmm. sure. Um, but one of the things that actually um, Teresa points out in her reviews is that, you know, it really was a balanced movie between the three characters, but because the women are actually giving e given equal treatment in the movie, it feels like the movie is all about the women. Yeah, and that, and that was something that was done very much on purpose, uh, mm -hmm. according to the, the filmmakers. Like they, it's like, okay, let's treat these women as important as, you know, as, as if they are as important as William Marston. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what it feels like. And uh, something interesting, too, about the dynamic that, that uh, you know, it, what's funny is that I always identify with Olive in all of this. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Wow. It's very, mm -hmm. very interesting. Um, you know, I mean, not for nothing, but like just personal side note, like if a hot Tweety couple of intellectuals wanted to like let me live with them. I'd be, be into it. For that. Um, yeah. So I'm like, Olive's living my best life. <laughs> oh, oh my man. Olive is living my best life. No. Um, but what what's interesting too about uh, Elizabeth and William, um, and I kind of, I was randomly reading something about uh, Simone de Beauvoir and Sartre and their relationship mm -hmm. recently. Mm. And just the fact that, um, and you see it in this film, the idea that, you know, they're kind of working as a team. Right. Um, and which, uh, which is great. And like, they, they kind of are in sync in a, in an intellectual way, right. but how that kind of makes it, you know, that they are kind of seeking out, you know, like there's that scene in the film where they're sitting on the steps at Harvard and they see Olive and Elizabeth notices William checking her out and, they're kind of like talking about her as if she's a science experiment. Right. You yeah, know? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh, you know, there's that element of this intellectual couple kind of exploring this side of themselves uh, almost as an exercise, which I, which I found fascinating. Cause it's like, um, obviously I feel like there's more feeling there once they, once they engage with her, get to know her, they actually become a, a family unit. Um, but at the start, it almost seems like this kind of clinical, let's see what happens if we, you know, do right. this kind if of we, vibe to it. If we I pull her that, in to our orbit. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really humanizing scene about Elizabeth because she says she doesn't care and very clearly cares. Yeah. It, the, yeah. And I thought that was a really wonderful. Well, I think she, uh, at least touch. my, yeah, my, my interpretation was that she falls back on that persona as her defense mechanism. So every time there was, you know, a crisis in her emotional life, she immediately switched over to her, to her, you know, clinical detached professorial um, mm. persona. And, and, you know, was like, well, of course, of course, this is falling apart because it was never going to work and we live in the world we live in. And why are you also upset about it? You know, which um, well, which comes off as cruelty 
Yeah. And well, and, and also the, you know, first of all, I, a, a lot of times in, in relationships like these, like people, you know, whenever people ask me, you know, like I could never do that. I would get jealous. It's like, well, well, yeah, people get jealous. Like right. polyamorous people get jealous all the time. Like it's not that they don't, it's that they, they handle it differently. Right. Um, and also the idea that, yeah, it, they were living at the time they were living in and it's not something that is accepted. Like she was, she was like the voice of reason in this, like right. for all that, you know, I think Marston certainly as portrayed in this movie was kind of like the dreamer mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he was like, let's just do it. Let's just go and whatever. And she's like the, you know, that's great, but now we have kids, you know, that's right. great. But now yeah. we have to like, we have to worry about more than just us. This isn't, you know, right. uh, we don't get to have the dream world all the time as much as she would have wanted it. Um, but I think she had good reason. I think she was being very practical. Well, and um, also, you know, coming from where they where they were in society, that she had to be the practical one because, you know, Marston never saw um, repercussions because he had never felt them in his life up until that, now, then, right? As a smart, white, well-educated right. man, you know, he could get away with screwing with the rules, whereas she could not. You know, she was constantly feeling the disapproval and restrictions of society everywhere she went. And so, you know, she was she was the one to bring him back down to earth because she had been brought back down to earth so many more times than he had in his life. Mm-hmm. That's actually, you know, it's it's and that is true in so many ways outside of this film, right? Like right. the the and that was one of the things that annoyed me also it was you know she has to be the practical one to get a job because he wants to pursue his writing right yeah Yeah. so he gets to have that and she has to pay the bills uh and meanwhile olive it's like you're the one who stays home with the kids you know and it's uh you know it's it's a lot of kind of shifting around for for him to to have his his comic um or his other writing, his other work. Um, right, yeah. And it, it says a lot about culture because in a sense, they it's almost as if they say, okay, he's the only one of the three of us who has a real shot at being successful and getting out there because he is a man. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like it's this, so you just see the way the culture is structured so that even though he does seem to be an idealistic, genuine idealist, he still benefits from the fact that he can have one woman pay the bills and another woman take care of the kids while he goes and dreams up something. Exactly. Um, exactly. She, I also found it interesting. She continued as a, she worked for MetLife, Elizabeth, and kept that job till you know, for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, they both lived a very long time. Uh, both she and Olive. Right. Yeah. 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 William died young. Bill died young. Yeah. I look at pictures of him. I, this is a strange stuff, but I look at him, he's 53 when he died and it's like 53 in the 1940s looks like 75 now. Yeah, that's true. It's really fascinating to me. It's like, cause I thought, wow, this guy, you know, he's, they have Luke Evans playing him and he's, you know, Luke is a young actor and everything. And I thought, well, that's a, it's a real choice to make, but he's probably about the same age Marston was in some of those scenes. It's just Marston looked different. Yeah. uh, Strange aside, but it was, you well, when you look at anybody in like the 40s and 50s, like teenagers look like they're 30 years old. Like it's, <laughs> it's it, you know, you see kids in high school and it's like, do you own a house? Um, <laughs> it's, it's the funniest thing. It's so weird how people age. Um, but yeah, so, like, oh, uh-huh. go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, I wanted to just go a little more into, because in your review, you talk about um, the disc types that he talks about. So maybe I thought we'd talk a little bit about what disc is and how... Um, Angela Robinson uses it in the film to kind of flesh out these characters. Yeah. And that is the, the disc was just to throw it out. There was the, uh, was a, an acronym that Marston came up with to describe um, dominance and submission interaction and relationships. And it was um, dominance, inducement, submission, compliance. And that was his four types of, behavior patterns and in, in interpersonal relationships about dominance and submission. Well, about everything. I mean, he about con- everything, yeah, he considered that these were the sort of, these are that every human interaction fits into one of those four categories. 
in terms of power relationships. Yeah. And I think he was trying to prescribe like a way to use that um, to better the world. Um, right. That if we, if we had a better understanding of how, um, you know, I mean, it's psychology, it's, it's, you know, trying to, uh, how to, how to, how to seduce people in, in the sense of like, you know, attraction and seduction as, you know, persuading, getting people to do what you want. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a sexual sense, but also sometimes in a sexual sense. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> uh, it's such a, such a scientist intellectual thing to do to try to ascribe an acronym to human behavior. I just think that's really funny. And, and And it shows people into boxes to say that everyone on the planet fits into one of these four boxes at any given moment. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, and I think Mm. honestly, that feels like kind of the idealist, an idealistic way of looking at it. Like I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. I can figure out people. And, and, you know, obviously psychology is the science of that, right? Like, you know, any um, psychology, psychiatry and, and neuroscience and figuring out how the brain works and, and how people behave. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, I just I just uh, think it's interesting. Like, I've done it. I've come up with the way that people can convince each other to do things. And I'm going to teach college students this. Um Right. But- right. It, yeah. And it is funny because that is part of that era, too, was the era where you know, you have people like Einstein in maybe 20, a couple of decades within that, but he's still around and in his prime and people taking hard sciences and coming up with their ways to describe the universe. So people in other sciences that maybe it's not appropriate still want to put some sort of hard science attachment. So you look at the human interaction, which is complicated and it's not as direct as one would like to be as a scientist. So, but they try to put it into some box that they can say, if I have this theory and this hypothesis, and I put these things in that, it'll right. it should play out like this. If so, I can just figure out all the variables, I'll the equation, you know, the the equation will balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and people need that. You know, like we we kind of all we gravitate toward that. Like it, sure. like just give me give me the category, give me the simple. You know, I was just thinking about. I, I don't know if you know the writer Gretchen Rubin. Um, she has, uh, she's this kind of like, she was a lawyer and she wrote this book called the happiness project because she did research on like, you know, over time, what has made people happy historically? How do people define happiness and all of that? And she has this newer book, um, called the four tendencies where she kind of puts people in the category of either you're a questioner, a rebel, a, um, oh, what was it? It's got questioner, rebel, uh, I forget what it's called, but the one where you have to, um, uh, you need, you need to do something for someone. So you need to be accountable to someone. Uh, anyway, look it up. The four tendencies, okay. but it's like, <laughs> look even, it even, uh, you know, <laughs> Google is free. Um, exactly. yeah, but the, the, the point is that people need those categories and that stuff still, and it still resonates with people because people want to figure out what type of person they are so they can mm-hmm. function. Yeah. Yeah, and and want uh, to I'm figure sorry. out. Uh, obliger, questioner, upholder, rebel. Thank you. There Google. you go. There you go. So, obliger. That was the one I was having. I was like, it's an O word. What is it? Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So P.S. I'm a questioner, y'all. For anybody who cares. Um, okay. Okay. But uh, <laughs> it's like those enneagram types too. It's like what letters right. are you? Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because. Uh, I don't know. He like the, the dominant dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance. Um, it's you know, and I, I certainly get this from the kink perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, he had uh, an interest there. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as you know, everything being about dominance and submission, right. uh, that's where you know, for me it kind of, well, one, it kind of falls apart because I don't think everything is about who is dominant and who is submissive in a situation. Um, and two, like, I think that is a very masculine way to think about it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's understandable in many ways based on the culture. He's coming out of a war that has mm. been, you know, all about, um, uh, about trying to conquer 
other people trying to achieve dominance over territory, over ideas, and dealing with, you know, the psychology was was a, a almost a compulsion for him because, um, you know, he had he had dealt with uh, soldiers suffering from what we now call PTSD. Um, you know, at the time we called it, I think, trench sickness or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know, all these soldiers who came back from World War One just just traumatized and and if he could figure out you know how to put people in the right boxes then then he could help to heal the traumas of the kind of conflict um Mm. emotional physical you know uh, energetic uh that came up during wartime situations yeah, and I think I mean also the going back to the notion of coming out of a very masculine or male perspective. It, when you are, when you look at the the patriarchy that has existed, and people there are people who question that word. I think it's bizarre to question. It. It's clearly had a patriarchy for several thousand years, two thousand years, thousand years earlier. You take Greece and Rome, and you take it all the way through in the West. It's about it's less about and sometimes about the boxes you fit in, more about who's got power and who will submit. And it just is the way the mindset of all the great leaders, the different empires, the different rulers, that's kind of their structural framework. So as a man coming of age in that era, it makes sense that he's thinking, okay, it's about who's in charge and who follows uh, in everything, you know, because that's the way the world seems to be structured, but it is a very, very male viewpoint. Yeah. And, and, and limiting and, you know, in its own way, a little bit too simplistic. And it's not yeah. to say women don't have that interaction, but it's just, it tends to be in that structure. Yeah, no. And, and that's, what's, what's kind of interesting. And, and uh, for me anyway, is that on the one, uh, on the one hand, it is that uh, from a very masculine point of view, but the progressive thing is that he believes that women should be in charge. Um, that if, if uh, women were uh, submitted to, um, the world would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to do is, is take him and say, oh, honey, lamb, no, women, some women are terrible. Like, you don't want to just, uh, like, right. the, point, the, point, the point isn't that women should be in charge. The point is that we should have a better framework for doing this. Like, let's not, right. let's not, it's, it's not going to be kumbaya if women are in charge. Like, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so. That, I, that, you know, look at, look at the archetypal rather than the practical, you know, that we should have a more, nurturing system rather than just put women in charge of the system we have and everything will change. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's, it's an interesting notion too, Don, though. We, when we talk a lot about uh, some of the other episodes, when we talk to Vicky about early matriarchy, matriarchal viewpoints. So what do we mean in a sense? I mean, we don't necessarily have to go down that road right now, but it's sort of, it does bring up, what do we mean when we say that a matriarchal perspective would be better for culture. That comes up a lot, Teresa, in our different podcasts. Mm, What does it mean to have a matriarchal perspective? What was it like? We talk about something called old Europe and the matriarchies that existed prior to the rise of the patriarchies we know about. It's controversial academically. We've been talking about that as well. And of course, uh, Heide Goethe Abendroth and her sort of uh, recent um, explorations into what matriarchies actually were rather than just viewing them as patriarchies, except with women in charge. Exactly. So what does it mean? So if, if he's saying, if, if Marston's saying it'd be better if there were women in charge, what, you know, one interesting thing to explore, and this is something that somewhere down the line, Don, we can, we can take into a podcast is, well, what does that mean really? Because we are moving towards that in some of our discussions. Uh, if you see some of our earlier podcasters, we, this comes up a lot. So what does it mean? What, what does it mean if it's not, if putting women in charge is not entirely the answer, what is the matriarchal response to it? So, I mean, right. it's, this, he's so, I mean, it's really interesting. All of this stuff, all three of them are so far, they're saying things that we, once again, and Donna had this discussion, it's like these things come up and then they're buried. And then, they, and then people rediscovered them like, oh, hey, you know, somebody was talking about this whole matriarchal concept about 80 years ago. Yeah. Think of it? And then we, we talk about it for a decade and then it gets buried and it happens again. So it's Yeah. Like, and then we rediscover it as if it never happened before. Yeah. Well, Tom Stoppard. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. 
Go ahead. Finish um, your thought. Tom Stoppard has a wonderful, in his play Arcadia, has a wonderful um, discussion about this with two of his characters um, because uh, part of the play takes place in the past at the time when um, the gal who basically invented the the way that computers work um, was uh, was writing and was doing the maths, as they called them. Um, and, uh, and he said, you know, why didn't, why weren't computers invented at that time? Right. Like she had the ideas, she came up with the ideas and, uh, and Stoppard's point was like, you cannot, you cannot walk through a door until you've built it, that people have the ideas that could be enormous progressive leaps forward. But until the frame is in place that would allow those ideas, we're just going to forget them again. And, uh, you know, he, he, I, I find that incredibly depressing, but, but, um, but it also makes a lot of sense, you know? Well, and, and here's a, a kind of a, a more hopeful way to look at that kind of thing. Um, Cause what I was going to uh, bring up is, is the fact that, you know, we tend to, and especially with, with period films like this, like our idea of history, a lot of it comes from media and what we think of as what it was like in the, in the fifties, in the forties, in the thirties is, is based on what we're told by mm-hmm. the movies yes. we watch, the books we read, all of that good stuff. Yep. And the fact is, you know, just as you see these people having this relationship uh, in this film, yeah, those people existed then. Those people existed before then, um, as did the people who support them. Like, just because the mainstream kind of society, uh, you know, doesn't find certain things palatable, doesn't mean there hasn't always been a scene, you know, like a play, right. like, you know, a community or yes. a mm-hmm. an outlet. Um, and I think the mistake that we we make when we look back at things is that we assume that we're so much better now mm. um, and mm-hmm. that, you know, we have come such a long way. And and the thing is, like right now, for example, you know, you take things like polyamory, you think take things like queerness, you take things like being yeah. trans, you take things, you know, all of these things where society as a whole is so much more supportive. But just as you have people who are um, you know, supportive and, and in favor of, of, you know, making sure people have their rights taken care of. You have people who are very conservative, very, you know, down on it. And both those sides existed for as long as humans have been around. Yes. absolutely. Um, absolutely so it's like, yeah. I, I, you know, I, whenever I see a period piece, um, I kind of wish that, uh, you know, it would, and honestly, I don't know much about Marston and uh, and the families, the Marston families' uh, interactions with, you know, people like them at that time. Like we have in the film, it's depicted. You know, we have that scene where they go to that that place in the village where they learn bondage. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And so they they go to basically a workshop, uh, which you could do now, like the pleasure chest or, or Bayland right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, at, you know, at the time he went to this this place where they had like a secret back room and they they, you know, went to a, a rope tying class, essentially. Yeah. And so that stuff existed and was there. And while you couldn't be open about it, it also wasn't um, it's not as if. It, yeah, it was everyone... so beyond the 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 thought process at that time is to have, you know, never existed. That's, that's not the right. case. Yeah. And so, so whenever I, I like, as far, as far as what you said with the, um, you can't have the idea until you build, or you can't walk through the door until you build the frame. Right. Um, it's, I think what's heartening about uh, thinking about the past now is that as, as hard as it might be now to, to um, be open about certain things or to, to put forth certain progressive ideas, Knowing that there have always been people that felt that have felt this way helps me and gives me hope because it's nice. not like I'm I'm not overcoming this big mountain when I say certain mm-hmm. things. It's like no, I'm standing on the shoulders of all the people centuries ago who thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like this isn't really new. It's just more and more people are are open about talking about it or 
willing to agree publicly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm like, that, I try to have a nugget of hope in that, that there have always been people who have been liberal and progressive and want women to do more. And uh, yeah. 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 I always, I always remind people to think of their own grandparents. Like my, my grandmothers, they, they took no shit. They were, um, you know, they were strong-willed. They went after what they wanted. And, and I cannot, you know, and then I see portrayals of women at that time who like had no options, were incredibly submissive and, you know, were seen rather than heard and all that sort of thing. And it's like, no, my grandmother lived at that time and she would not have put up with that shit. So, so there is, there is, you know, people are people. It's interesting time. too. Yeah. I think some of it you deal with, particularly with entertainment. So, I mean, there are two things. It's like, yeah, there are always, you look at any time period, I and mean, for heaven's sake, if you look back to the classical world, then people, these, all these concepts we talk about, whether it's a kink concept or a concept of women or these different sorts of things, they all were being talked about, you know, in the first century BC or whatever, or first century AD. Things had already been discussed. It seems we go back and forth. We, have cycles. We, we, like you say, people tend to think it's like this line, this linear concept that we've reached where we are now. And then 10 generations ago, no one had any idea of any of this stuff. It's like, no, it's not quite how it works. But I think the other thing that I find disturbing, particularly when it comes to issues around women is so much of what you see is informed by the mindset of those who create it. And if those who create it are of a mindset that they do not like what they saw of women's empowerment in the past. And Dawn and I have talked, Teresa, a lot about how in that period that we're talking about with Marston and, and earlier, around the period of the film and earlier, there was an incredible flowering of really fascinating, really interesting, strong, aggressive, strident women who wanted to go out and say, I'm going to do this particular type of thing. And you don't see that in films, but you don't see that because no one wants to show you that. Yeah. And so there's that issue too. Yeah. Yeah. But we say the heck with them. We're going to do our own thing. So t- tell us a little bit, what did you think of the film as it was told, like the, the movie itself as a film? Um, can you say a little bit about how you felt about its uh, execution or how it its process. Yeah, no, I, I, I am a fan. Um, if you read the review, you know, I, I loved this film. Um, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful film to look at. I thought mm-hmm. the, the way it was shot was gorgeous. Um, and it, it helps to have really gorgeous people in the, in the central roles. <laughs> yeah. Um, which what Hollywood's all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but the, these people are like ridiculously attractive. It's, it's kind of criminal, yeah. but, mm-hmm. um, but no, it was it was really well done, and I do love the choice of of uh, making sure that the relationship between Elizabeth and Olive is showcased. Because right. um, so often, I think you know people uh, really misunderstand uh, this relationship, and also um, kind of polyamory in general. Like they kind of frame it as you know oh, it's just a guy's excuse to be able to have more than one woman at one time. Mm. And and honestly, like, you know, and I don't know if this is still true, but I've, I, when I've done reading on it in the past, like generally you'll find more often than not that that women are in polyamorous relationships with like more than one man. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, a lot of my friends are, are women who, who have like family kind of structures with multiple men in their home or, or, uh, or a, uh, uh, man and a woman if they're uh bisexual or pansexual but like you know the the woman is kind of the central focus and she's the one who pulls the people in um mm. or she's she's the she's the 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 vector <laughs> um yes yeah and uh you know so i think there's that misunderstanding um uh, whereas in this film we see that not only do both of these women love marston tremendously but they do love each other and they yes. give each other mm. something different mm-hmm. than, than either one of them, you know, gets from, from William. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it really is a, a, a strong choice. And I, and I loved that, that we got to see kind of, there's this one scene in particular that um, I love where I think, 
Elizabeth and William are fighting um, or there there's tension between them. And Elizabeth is in the kitchen and Olive goes to Elizabeth and it's a wordless scene. And I remember yes. talking to Robinson about this and she, she wanted that moment and, and to, to kind of show that these two women, like they have this understanding and they don't need to talk, but yes. Olive can go in there and comfort her without saying anything. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. was really, really beautiful. I was so struck by that scene as well. That's one of the moments that I remember most strongly in the film is that they have, like you can see them have an entire conversation without either one of them saying a thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's gorgeous. It's just a gorgeous moment. Whereas, you know, by contrast, Elizabeth's relationship with, with William is all talky. It's talk, 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 nonstop. They talk yes. about everything, um, yeah. which has its own value in its own place. Because I'm a, listen, I'm a talker. <laughs> like, you, you know, <laughs> I value a good intellectual, you know, chat fest. But, yes, yeah. um, you know, and sh- so you see like the different things that she gets from each person. Right. Um, so I liked that. I also, um, you know, I'm a sucker for, uh, I love this period in terms of, We lost her for a second. Oh, I think she's muted, actually. Yeah, oh, I muted. The, Sorry. The, I, just, I think that's the siren probably. There was right? a siren. Yeah, yeah. I was like trying to. Yeah. And you can see when. I, oh, yes. Yes. You can, can see have, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So so Sean, if you see me do that, there's a siren. I will be back talking. Right. Um, Sean, <laughs> so it's not it's not the thought police. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sean, can you make a note to just do a little edit there? I yeah. think I kind of like that. I you do? You want to keep it um, real? Right, I, I want to yeah. keep it real for the listeners, sure. <laughs> Sorry, Teresa, go ahead. I'm a sucker for uh, this period uh, of history when it comes to comic books. Um, and I do mm-hmm. like that they get into uh, the business side of, right. of Marston's creation. Um, the fact that he's trying to sell this. Uh, the fact that he's being investigated. The whole central mm-hmm. kind of framing device is right. you know him talking to connie Britton's character uh and she's interviewing him about his life and and trying to you know because remember this is at a time when you know the country is kind of paranoid about communism and about you know subversive um, ideas sneaking into exactly. the culture yeah yeah exactly so so you have you know connie Britton there for the children um Right. Trying to make sure that that some deviant isn't uh, isn't trying to uh, inflict, you know, immorality on the kids. Right. Um, but it's another, it's another amazing actress, too, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's oh my wonderful. Gosh. Yeah. Um, she's trying to keep them, you know, keep the children from being brainwashed by a liberal agenda. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Well, and what's interesting too about this, and one of the reasons why I, the 50s in comic book history, uh, 40s and 50s, but really the 50s, um, once the uh, the comic code comes into play, right. and because uh, comics for a long time, uh, which might be one of the reasons why, you know, eventually Marston gravitated toward it, comics for a long time were a haven for people who were on the fringes who couldn't get respectable publishing work. Um, So you, you did see women creators, you did see black creators, you saw gay creators, you saw Jewish creators um, gravitating to comics because that was the only place that would have them really. Um, But when they were there, they got to create stuff that was subversive um, Mm -hmm. that flew under the radar because comics were underestimated and they got to, you know, they basically got to, to, you know, tell kids, here's the real deal um, mm. without parents being any the wiser because parents look down on comics and we're like, oh, yeah, that's just for kids who cares, whatever. Right. Um, right. So they were able to, you know, use allegory and, and whatnot. But then there kind of became this period where superheroes kind of went out of fashion and mm-hmm. Wonder Woman is a part of like the resurgence of superheroes. But it was like... um well, you and know. that period in the in the forties when World War II was raging and all of the women were taking up the jobs that men had was an incredible just plethora of of women centered uh, comic books that came out, and yeah. they were you know some were superheroes and some were just you know like 
uh, girl reporters digging mm-hmm. into a story, you know, or one of my favorite is Jill Trent's science sleuth who solved <laughs> crimes with science. I mean, there were just all these amazing, um, uh, you know, female centered uh, comic books uh, out there. And then the war ended and they wanted to bring, you know, all the men back into those jobs. And most of those comic characters just died on the vine and yeah. the comic book shift was all of a sudden to women in the domestic sphere. They were all romance-based comics. Yeah. Yeah. Or they were, um, you know, women were, because true crime was also big or, mm. you know, pulp comics. Um, so you had a lot of, of women either being victims or being, uh, you know, uh, vipers, you know, like they right. were the yes. femme fatale and, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and there was a lot of sex. Um and so at that point, you know, that's when you have like Frederick Wortham and Seduction of the Innocent. Um, if you uh, I do not know that, that uh, Frederick Wortham was a psychologist who did questionable studies into uh, children and comics um, and the effect that comics have on kids. Uh, uh, basically, mm-hmm. it was responsible for a huge scare, um, which necessitated the comics code and also led to comic burnings at schools and like all of that stuff. It was, and basically it's like he did a quote study, but he studied like at one school in Harlem and it was, it was, it was nonsense garbage. Yeah. Yeah, It was bad science. science. Yeah. Um, But he used that to, to propel his own career and also to shut down a lot of uh, what comics were, what creators in comics are trying to do. Right. Um, Wonder Woman took a, a, a really, in the Jill Lepore book, that she talks about the strange path, even in starting in World War II, I don't have to get the book and, and get the exact info on it, but what happened yeah. was at one point there was a, the, the Justice League goes off to fight the war, except for Wonder Woman, who stays back with their girlfriends to help out everything. It was just the kind of thing where Marston was like, oh my God, they start to shift Wonder Woman's character away from mm. being the empowered woman to being sort of the, the little girlfriend. And then when you get into the 50s, then Steve Rogers, I mean, it's almost, I, I have to confirm this, but I remember there was one issue where like it's almost like Steve Rogers saves her rather than the other way around. Steve Rogers for the listener being the uh, the boyfriend or the male uh, love, love interest. interest. Love interest, yeah. I say, not boyfriend. Yes of the of wonder Woman. Of so wonder just, woman's alter ego or secret uh, identity right, diana. diana prince right yeah. yeah so but you get that for a long time until into the 70s and then yeah. finally wonder woman kind of comes back around but yeah it took this character that was created specifically almost i think marston says as matriarchal propaganda yeah and they flipped it around so it's it is amazing what they what and they take away her powers. Yeah. Yeah, they take away her powers. And it says that in the film, you know, after mm-hmm. Marston died, um, Wonder Woman loses her powers. Mm-hmm. And she becomes, you know, just just an ordinary girl. Well, she's got other things to worry about, like makeup and shoes and all that Absolutely. kind of stuff. So why should she be off saving the world with her Amazon <laughs> strength? Right, right. Well, I have to say one of the one of my favorite takes on uh, on Wonder Woman. Um, I don't know if you, either one of you has read New Frontier from DC. No, no. Uh, it is. Uh, it came out, and I actually just had to look this up because I forget when it came out. The art is gorgeous as well. It's by Darwin Cook, who I believe has passed away years ago. Um, but it came out in like the early aughts, and um, it is. Uh, let's see. Hold on one second. I'm going to look at Wikipedia to refresh the actual history of this. Google Um, is your friend. Because there is a, right, there is a, because there, there's a comic and then there was a, an animated film uh, in the style of the comic uh, released as well, which I I would highly recommend the film. Um, But it came out in the early aughts and it uh, is an adaptation of, um, I think, an older story. Um, But let me see. It's basically all of the Justice League heroes in their, quote, golden age. Um, so it's set mm. in the 50s, um, but it talks about, you know, the Justice League coming together. And it kind of it's basically an origin story, but like a retold origin story for all of these uh, heroes. Mm. And 
what's interesting, or rather for the team, for the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And the scene that that I remember that I love is Superman goes to track down Wonder Woman to find her, to ask her to join uh, the effort. And she is in uh, in Asia. I don't remember if she's in China or if she's in uh, Vietnam or somewhere. She's uh, dealing, you know, talking to Asian women about, you know, rising up against, you know, whatever they're dealing with. And mm. Superman shows up. And first of all, the way it's drawn is gorgeous because uh, Superman, even though he's Superman, he's shorter than she is because she's an yeah. Amazon and she's like six foot whatever. And so you see him like him walk up to her and she's standing like a head taller than him. Oh, my um, God. And it's like, you know, he asks her to come and she's like, no, I'm doing important work here. Like, I'm not going to join your team. I'm I'm out here helping women learn how to fight better. That's my mission in life. That's what I do. Right. Sorry, I can't join your team. And it was such a great like moment of I've got my own stuff going on. Like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm I have I have things like I was an Amazon. Like I'm I don't need you and your team to to validate right. my work. Like I just I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm out here doing it myself. Um, I'm not sitting but, around waiting for your invitation. <laughs> right. Right. And so and it, it, you know, so eventually obviously she does join because she wants to she does want to help and uh she is convinced, but there is that moment of had he not come to her, she would have spent her life going from country to country, working with women to help them, you know, be stronger, learn how to fight, learn how to support themselves um, as a one woman kind of feminist party. Like, I'll have to look that up. Really interesting. Yeah. The New Frontier. Um, it's uh, and it's a great. DC is so good at animated movies. I kind of wish they would just stick to that because their live action movies are not great all the time. They're not the best. Um, that's a whole, that's a whole other. Discussion. That's a different episode of this podcast. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so that's a great take on Wonder Woman. I just wanted to throw that out there. Nice. Right. Nice. Well, we Very are cool. we're coming up against sort of our, our time limit, so I thought maybe it'd be a good time to ask for our one more thing to leave our listeners with because there's been so much we could uh, and i would love for you i'm sure don the same to come back and talk yeah. more about this because we can take we can explore these different avenues a lot more yeah but what would you what would be the one more thing that you would like to leave <laughs> our listeners with about this topic wonder woman marston the film um what would you like yeah to i mean i think Whenever I uh, anything resonates with me, it's usually because it shows us um, a way of being and living that deserves to have space. Um, mm-hmm. What I loved about this movie is that you have three very intelligent, creative, progressive people who love each other, live together, are raising kids together, and the only problem with it is what they have to deal with on the outside world. Um, so if you're watching this movie, keep that in mind that like their relationship, you know, and, and it has its ups and downs as any relationship does. Right. But the only real problem that these three people face um, is not their relationship. Is not It's not that they chose to, to be together in this way. It's that people can't mind their business. <laughs> <laughs> It's that it's that neighbors have to come over and walk into your house and see things they shouldn't see. Um, And it's that, you know, society has something to say about what people are doing in their lives, whether it's, you know, how women should act, whether it's how men should act, whether it's the kinds of relationships that are okay, whether it's, you know, what's harmful to children and yeah. So uh, the one the one last thing I would say is that if I recommend this movie, I think everyone should watch it. And I think it's a great place to start to talk about um, the ways in which we form judgments about people and and what we uh, what we allow um, mm. from ourselves and each other in society. Nice. Oh, very nice. nice. Dawn, anything you'd want to leave us with? Uh, yeah, just a reminder that, um, you know, when watching movies and reading books and, you know, any other kind of media that they tell us really more uh, that take place in a historical place, um, that they tell us more about 
the people that made them's ideals than they do about the actual people that existed at that time. Here, here. Yes. Yeah. And I would just leave the listener with, please go uh, watch Rent, however you can, stream it, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. It's a great film. And also look for Jill Lepore's book, The Secret History of Wonder Woman, which I think is amazing and gives you a lot of insight into the matriarchal movement of the late 19th and early 20th century. Yay. So on that note, I want to thank Teresa Justino. Thank you, Teresa. Yeah, this is really fun. I I like talking about this. (laughs) Absolutely. And we love talking about you. Uh, Or talking Um, with you, not about you. I'm like, what do you say? (laughs) We we just don't tell you what we talk about, but yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. We love talking with you. Yes. I'm like, what are they saying on the streets? Exactly, exactly. Read the, read the boardroom wall. All our notes are there. <laughs> well, thank you, Dawn, as always. And thank you, Sean Marlon Newcomb, as always. And everyone listening, thank you very much. This has been the 34 Cersei Salon. Make matriarchy great again. We will talk with you again soon. Take care. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. Mm-hmm.